What a beautiful church you are. Do you know how beautiful the church is when it's full of the presence of the one who's more beautiful than anything in the whole universe? Just turn to one another and say you're beautiful. <laughs> so, that's your prophetic word for today. You're beautiful. Praise God. Wow. So I've been asked to talk about the presence of God all day. And uh, what I find, this is a really key message for me. Uh, I love the presence of God. And um, what I find is when I speak about the presence of God, he often comes and manifests his presence and things happen. Uh, so I just want you to just feel free, just to be open to what God is doing. And, you know, some of you uh, will get healed just in the presence of God. If you need healing today, we see that often people often get healed just in the presence of God. We did a worship evening recently. A lady walked into the worship evening as we were, as we were worshiping, and she was instantly healed of a condition she'd had for 15 years, and no doctors have been able to help her. Just be expectant. As his glory comes, <laughs> as his presence rests on us, things are going to happen. People are going to get set free life-controlling things just in his presence because all miracles come from his presence. So I'm going to talk about the presence of God. And I thought, first of all, because we don't know each other very well, um, I thought it would be good for me just to talk a bit about my story and a bit of where I come from and my church. So that's what I'm going to do in the first session, some of the decisions that we made. But I've already picked up from being with you that I think you guys are on a similar journey. So we're going to get on like a house on fire. Literally, the house is going to be on fire. So I want to talk about... <laughs> There's the exit. Don't go out there. Stay in. Uh, so I've been asked to talk about this as a a sort of important and foundational priority, the presence of God, that we'll prioritize his presence, that we'll make our churches presence-centered more than anything else. So I'm going to do a bit of teaching sort of this morning and then this afternoon, because I think you'll probably be tired of me by then, who knows. Um, but we're going to do a bit more practical stuff, I think, talk more practically. So for me, as I was saying, the presence of God is one of my key messages. It's almost an obsession. Uh, it's, I think that's because it played such a big part in my life. I was raised in an atmosphere of the presence of God in a time of the moving of the Spirit. Uh, the church met in our home in those days. Anybody old enough to remember those days of the house church movement? And so as kids, we, we go to bed listening to people worshipping, people sitting up the stairs. There were so many people crammed in to our house. And miracles would just happen uh, as we worshipped. And it was just a wonderful way to be brought up. Uh, and in fact, actually, until I went to another church as a teenager, and they had a building and everything, uh, I, I thought that that's what church was meant to be like. We worshipped, his presence came, stuff happened, miracles just happened. In fact, miracles would occur as a natural outworking of the presence of God. I remember on one occasion, for example, and I was just a young teenager, and a lady suddenly started shouting 
in the middle of the worship. And that was pretty normal stuff would just happen like that. And, and it was only when we quietened down because she kept shouting. We thought, oh my goodness, there's something going on over there. And she was saying, I can see, I can see, I can see. She'd been born blind in one eye. And suddenly, as we were worshipping, she could see. And what was really cool is her husband was a complete unbeliever. He came down later to find out what we'd been doing to her. And he just could not believe it at all. But that was the kind of expectation that I grew up. And, and, and sadly, I found that that isn't the case everywhere. And it was a bit of a shock to me at that time. You, can, you know, you can have the best buildings, the smartest people. But without the presence of God, there's no dynamic. There's no power. There's no expectation. And certainly there's very few miracles. <laughs> um, so why would you want a church like that? Why would you want to go to a church like that? I mean, surely there are better things to do on a Sunday morning. More entertaining things, more exciting things than going to a church where nothing much happens. So when it came to my own church in Sully Hall, um, I can say it, there's no greater compliment than a, a visitor says, I felt God's presence. And I love it when people come and they don't believe in it, you know. So my auntie is a, 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 a non-charismatic Christian. And she came just because she was in the area. And somebody stood up at the front and, and gave a word of knowledge that described her condition exactly. She had trigger finger. I, don't, I didn't even know about trigger finger, but that's what she had. And she loved to sew and to knit an older lady, and uh, so for not being able to use her fingers was a big deal. And God just said, I'm going to heal that condition. So if you've got that condition, and they forgot, you know, in our church we train people to say, if there's a word of knowledge, put your hand up so we can see if anybody's responded. It builds faith and we can actually pray for that person. We didn't think to do that on that occasion. He just went straight in and prayed for the healing. And anyway, my auntie, she sort of put her hand out because that's what she'd been told to do. And then she said, uh, it was amazing. She said, somebody put their hand on my shoulder. I thought, oh, that's nice, that, that's nice. And then she could feel like heat going through her arm. And suddenly her fingers were working again. So she turned around to say thank you to the person who put their hand on her. And there was nobody there. And so obviously an angel or presence of God or some kind of manifestation of God's presence had just come on her. And she doesn't even believe in this stuff. And that is so exciting. But it's not even, even, even just in our meetings. Even the buildings, I think we can leave a deposit of his presence. You know, you meet in a school building. Hey, wouldn't it be amazing to hear of kids encountering God because you've left a deposit of his presence in your building. We've got a huge building in Solihull. That's another story altogether. God's blessed us incredibly. And we had some visitors from the council want to come and look around about using part of our building. And we love to let our council, they can use it anytime. We don't charge them. We want to serve them in that way. And we were showing them around and we came to the prayer room. And I don't know, I just had a sense of something's going to happen. And I said, well, I just want to take you into our prayer room. There you go. And one of the women just starts crying and crying and crying. A lady from the council. She said, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I don't know. Oh, sorry. I said, no, it's okay. Try the encounter room. <laughs> Even in your building, 
that there would be an expectation that what we carry gets left behind. Even in your workplace, even in your school, wherever it is that you are, in your neighborhood, an expectation of his presence. I want his presence to be our distinctive feature, and I think you do too. I've picked that up already from you. And that's what Moses wanted for the people of God. Too often, uh, he, he was often an angel instead of his presence. You, you remember that occasion? I'm not going to read all the passages today, so you're going to have to look them up later. But it's in Exodus 32. He's offered an angel instead of the presence of God, which is just shorthand for anything else other than the presence of God. It's any other messenger is ever any other strategy than his manifest presence. And, and I think this is the key to building a presence-centered church. Oh, by the way, that's what I'm talking about today. <laughs> presence-centered church. Uh, it's where Moses says to God, if your presence doesn't go with us, we're not going anywhere. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else? will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth. Seriously, I don't know why you'd want to be distinguished by anything else. You know, for me, I want to be a part of a church that isn't distinguished by size or buildings, the profile of its its leaders or their good-looking worship leaders or the wealth in their bank accounts, but by this tangible, discernible presence of God. Why would we want it to be anything else? I came across this quote a while ago that really resonated with me. I think it's Bill Johnson, but I haven't been able to find the uh, source of the quote. But it goes like this. Somewhere in church history, the church started gathering around a sermon. The Bible tells us that Israel encamped around the presence of God. God is bringing us to the place where we live conscious of God's presence with us. And this will enable us to release his presence wherever we go. That's what I want. That's what I think church should be about. So how do we build a church like that? Um, There's so much to say, but I'm just going to confine myself to three things because that's what you're meant to do in sermons. Um, So the first one is founded, presence founded, presence led, and presence filled. So presence founded. So a bit more about my story. It was about 12 years ago that I moved over from a church in Birmingham, a church center where Mark comes from, well, we used to cause chaos together in that church, uh, to lead a church in Solihull. And I went to lead a very damaged group of people. They were disillusioned. They'd been abused. They were confused. And in that place, I encountered all manner of serious issues, pastoral issues like I have never experienced anywhere, spiritual issues that slightly messed with my head because I'd never seen them before and so on, except for one great thing. There was one great thing about the church, and that was that they loved the presence of God. Um, and, and, you know, some big ministries had come through that place, some big names that you would know. Somehow this tiny little church managed to attract really amazing people to go in that place because of their pursuit of the presence of God. And they certainly pursued presence-type ministries and a love for the supernatural. But then uh, there was this weird thing that would happen that I noticed, a strange phenomenon, and that is that there was no consistency of the presence There was no deposit of his glory. There was no guarantee that you would get that. I mean, as we started worshipping today, his presence rushed. That's what you would expect. That's in a healthy church. 
uh, but it was like the water level would rise one moment and then it would fall, and it would be quite dramatic. It was like the Holy Spirit would leave the building, and there was no anointing, and things would just fizzle out. Why? It, it seemed as if the glory came in one moment and then departed, so what was going on? And how do we keep that imminence of his presence was my continual question at that time. And of course, being a, a good Bible reader, I went straight to Ezekiel's temple in chapter 43. Uh, I'm not going to turn to it now, but you must know it. You've been charismatic for enough time. Uh, but it's one of my favorite passages, and I thought, I know, I'll just teach into it. His glory is meant to be here. We'll tell it that it's meant to be here, and that's it. That's sorted. Not so fast, the Holy Spirit said to me, look what comes before that wonderful chapter where there's the return of the glory in 43 you've got these other chapters chapters 40 to 42 and all the implications of the of of those chapters mean that the guarantee of his presence is not an automatic guarantee it means that there was some work to be done first so i started in chapter 40 and the first thing that struck me was Ezekiel's obsession with the measurement of things. If you've ever read that chapter, you're going to have to read it later. It's almost the first thing he sees in the vision of chapter 40. Verse 3 is this glorious man, presumably an angel with a measuring stick in his hand. And there he is, this angel, and he's just measuring everything. Not just the temple, not just like the church where, the, where it's going to be, but the whole city. And through all chapters, all three chapters, that's all he does. He's measuring everything. And uh, it's just bizarre. And, and then Ezekiel's just writing down all the, all the measurements. Uh, the length and the thickness of the boundaries, the extent of them, the size and the number of the rooms, the width and the depth of the gates, the entrances and the doors, the administration centers, the hospitality, measure, measure, measure. I said, Lord, why are you making me read this? It's so boring. It's so... And, and they're described in the most amazing detail as well. And all of the... the anyway, seriously... It's not an easy read. Forgive me if you think that it's disrespectful to say that that was boring. <laughs> In fact, what is obvious is that this is about a substantial number of buildings. And it says that these buildings, were, some of them even looked like a city. And they were just the buildings. And it started to kind of dawn on me, hold on, a city on the side of a hill, very high mountains, a city on a hill. Is this a picture that God's trying to show me? What's it all about? And I realized that actually what was being shown was a, a blueprint for the church. It was a plan. It was a strategy for the containment of all that's to come. It, what, what was being shown here are principles to build by. That there's a clarity about its layout and its ordering. And that's because God's glory, when it comes, doesn't fill a void. It has to fill something. It fills a people, a people in the New Testament who are the foundation stones and pillars of the church who need to be taught about who they are in Christ. Do you know who you are in Christ? These are foundational teachings. That's what it's all about. And we need to be clear on things like the work of the Spirit and so on. These key teachings, these foundational structures that mean that we can grow together to contain the Word of God. And then the glory comes. 
And then the glory comes. Spirit and word coming together. That's why the glory kept coming and going. Because there was nothing to contain it. There was, there, was, there was nothing to hold it there. I don't know if you can understand the picture I'm trying to give you. And so we literally replanted the church. We relayed the foundation. That initial work of dismantling and rebuilding took about three years. And we covered everything that the Holy Spirit led us to do. And then we looked at the culture of the church because we realized that core beliefs get worked out in behaviors. <laughs> so what you believe, what you really believe, comes out in how you behave. You can't do it the other way around. You can't say you've got to behave like this because that's just law. It's got to come out of core beliefs and understanding about who we are and what the church is all about. That took two years. And then together as a church, after we'd done this process... Uh, we went back to Ezekiel. We went back to the, the Ezekiel 43, had permission to talk about that. And we invited the glory of God to come and fill the temple. And wow, did he come. We had glory, we had gold dust, we had people laughing and crying, we had oil. And we were meeting in a hotel at the time and we had to explain why there was gold dust all over the chairs and all over the floor, gold type of stuff. And it looked like one of those Asian weddings, you know, where there's just everything. And, and, and it was amazing. And he's never left since. There's an imminence and there's a centrality to his presence right in the foundation. Is it in yours? Do you understand how important that is? I know it's one of your key things, going after the presence. That's why it needs to be presence Founded, and we are intentionally presence founded. Secondly, presence led. One of the most amazing things to me about Jesus is this there's so many things, but it, this astonishing revelation he makes to his disciples one day in John 5, where he, he turns to his disciples. They've just witnessed the healing of a man who'd been paralyzed for 38 years. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Paralyzed for 38 years. And he says, I tell you the truth, I can't do this on my own. <laughs> the son can do nothing of himself. I can only do what I see the father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son does. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he does. Presence led. You know, all kinds of amazing things in those verses which we could look at and get at. But Jesus says this. I can't do anything of myself, and yet he's God. <laughs> and yet most of us get, get along pretty well by ourselves, don't we? And Jesus says, I can't do anything. I choose not to do anything. So do we have okay, any concept of our need of God? You know, how much we need that revelation of the Father, how we need his direction in our lives, let alone in the leadership of the church, we'll come on to that in a minute, how we lead the church. You know, are we presence-led? Uh, and one of the key times this thinking gets challenged is when things start to go wrong. And it's definitely been my experience anyway. There's nothing like desperation to drive us to prayer. I'm convinced that sometimes God makes us desperate so that we have to. You know, if you ever say, Lord, help me to pray, give me a good quite prayer time watch out because he may send you desperation and fear to make you dependent on him and we cry out and we say lord where are you in this father where is your presence right now we come to that in times of desperation 
but we don't realize that he wants us to be led like that all the time. That we're to be led, not driven, when it comes to church. I mean, do you know how to see what the Father is doing in what you do as a church? To sense his presence in the church. Are we able to work with him or are we doing our very best to work for him? I've been increasingly concerned over the last 20 years or so how many churches have adopted management techniques in their leadership rather than being presence-led. Now, there's nothing wrong with management techniques and getting ourselves organized and all that kind of thing. But if that's the priority, it's the wrong way around. And I've had to learn this the hard way. My background is in business, actually. So, you know, I've had to learn this the hard way. Um, I, I stepped... I, I just shut... I'm embarrassed to tell you this now, but it was a long time ago, but... <laughs> I just went to that messed up church so confident. I thought, I'll turn up, you know, I'll do a few alakazam, pray for a few people, set a few people free. We'll be trucking it. It's going to be amazing. Just in a, give me a few months and we'll have the whole thing sorted. And it took about six years of total hardship. And I, and I just realized that I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. And how arrogant I was, how ignorant I was. I really thought, yeah, a bit of the old Davy magic, that'll do it. Actually, it was one of the hardest times of our lives. I've never known such violent spiritual attack. I've never known such personal costs, sleeplessness, anguish, you name it. After a year or two uh, of going there, it led to a leadership challenge, which tended to happen every three years or so in that church. And the trustees sacked me, and I refused to go because I said, if you pay me or not, God sent me to lead the church, so I'm staying. So it's going to give you a problem. Uh, but lots of horrible things were said about me at that time, publicly, very publicly. And finally, the previous leadership team uh, split off from the church and took a third of the people with them. And I was left with a small, bedraggled, disillusioned very damaged group of people to rebuild with, including me. <laughs> I was so beaten up. And, and the oversight all went wrong as well, and I just ended up completely on my own, and there was nobody to help me. You can say R if you want. Um, <laughs> and there was no support from outside, and, and there was nobody, in fact, we're finding this, that there's lots of people who can tell you how to plant a church, but not many who can tell you how to replant one. And that's something uh, that I'm beginning to get involved in more and more, is how do we help people to replant churches, especially when things go wrong. And so for me, and this fledgling leadership team, these brave people, uh, from the very beginning, we had to learn how to follow what the Father was doing. Literally, we had to. We had to trust him for every single step. I was so broken myself that I had to pray every day just to get up. And I'd sit at my desk often, just so emotionally exhausted, I'd just stare into space. <laughs> say, Look, I don't know what, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to see anybody. Lord, what do you want me to do? And so to preach and to lead publicly was awful, but somehow God gave me the strategy week to week. And after five or six years, as I said, <laughs> five or six years, it seemed like things started to take shape. 
And I'm amazed at the journey that we've done. And not only have I learned to rebuild a church, but able to help others too. But, you know, in all that time, I had no clue about what I was doing or how I was going to do it. All I knew is that God had told us to do this and that we were standing on what he called us to do. But I would often say it was even part of our vision talks in the first few years. Guys, I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, so, okay, um, I'm just trying to follow the Holy Spirit. Do you want to come with me? <laughs> we're just trying to find out. And, uh, but then a few years later, a thought came to me, because I've been hearing a lot of teaching on identity and Father's heart and all that kind of thing. I thought, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong to keep saying that. Perhaps I'm undermining my own gift or my own identity. So I stopped saying that as part of my vision statement. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just trying to follow the Holy Spirit. And I don't know, maybe after, you know, months, it might even be years, I, I just started to feel really restless and dull and uninspired in my leadership. And my prayer time were difficult. And I was just praying one morning, and if you're involved in leadership, you'll know this feeling, you know, I've got to go to church this morning and I've got to lead the church. Lord, I really need you to be with me. I really need you to help me. And he said to me, he just spoke to me one morning and he said, I really liked it when you said you didn't know what you were doing. And he went on to say that the thought that came to you didn't come from me. You've believed a lie. I never said that. He said, you have begun to become too confident in your own ability. And I want my church back. And you know, I'm still hearing that word. And as I visit other churches, as I meet with leaders and I stand with leaders that have got burned out in leadership, burnt out in church, people that have served until they've dropped. <laughs> I hear it time and time again, tell them to give my church back to me. Jesus said, I will build my church. He told us to go and make disciples <laughs> and that he would build his church. But we think it's our job, and he gave us the keys to, but he gave us the key to ministry when he says, I can do nothing of myself. I can only do what I see the Father doing. So, what about you? Your glasses need a bit of a clean. Holy Spirit, what are you asking me to do? What is my role? Where do I fit? What is it you want me to do here? Because we're part of a body. It's not just about the leaders. We need to build people who both see and do only what the Father is doing. And we need leaders, especially, that are presence-led. So encourage them. Encourage them to go and spend time with God. Encourage them to just have time out to just be led by the Holy Spirit. Give them space for that. You know, sometimes in church, people phone and are very demanding and it's quite hard for us as leaders to say, Look, I'm sorry, I'm just spending the day wasting time with God. Because that's what it feels like when there's so much to do. Sometimes it feels like this is a real luxury. Other people are out doing real work. And I'm just sitting in the hills enjoying your presence. It seems so wrong. But actually, if I don't do that, I've got nothing to give. I've got nothing to lead with. We've got to release that to our leaders to do that.
And then finally, and I'm going to do this quite briefly because we've nearly finished this session, um, and I'm going to come back to this in, a, in the next session. It's about being presence-filled. So Jesus says, go into all the world, preach the gospel, but don't do anything until you've received power from the Father. And then when you do, you'll be witnesses. You just will be. <laughs> and then, of course, we read about the day of Pentecost, and there's this group of believers all together, united in one heart and purpose. And then there's this roaring wind. Heavens are ripped open. The Holy Spirit comes as fire and splits over all of them, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to speak in tongues. His presence comes and he visits them, not just in the air, all around them. They'd sensed that before. They'd seen it even in Jesus. But he came to fill them, and each of them individually became temples of his presence. And corporately, as the church, we are the dwelling place of God on earth. You do know that, don't you? I said earlier I was raised in an atmosphere of the presence of God, uh, and in my home, his presence was all around me. And when, as a teenager, I tried to be a rebel, and, and I went to discos and everything. But it, it was his presence that drew me back. I missed his presence in my atmosphere. But, you know, despite all this, I was riddled with fear for a whole series of reasons. I was very ill as a young child. I had a massive electric shock as an older child. And, and I don't know, something had got in. And I became very anxious. I was paralyzed by anxiety. I used to have pills to help me to sleep at night and calm me down in the day. And I was described by the doctor as highly strung. <laughs> and I had panic attacks and I could hardly breathe. I was riddled with fear. And uh, then one day, my dad said to me, I think you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Dad, why didn't you tell me that years ago? <laughs> and I, I thought, um, I didn't even know I could ask for that. Uh, guys, we mustn't, we mustn't forget to keep teaching this. There are people in our churches that haven't heard it, <laughs> and children who haven't yet heard it. Don't forget to keep talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't assume your kids are going to just get it by osmosis. Okay? Anyway, little aside. So I simply knelt by my bed and I said, Lord, please will you give me the Holy Spirit? And nothing dramatic happened. I didn't fall over. I didn't laugh or anything. I just felt peace on the inside. And for the first time in my life, I wasn't afraid anymore. <laughs> And the peace that I felt in my home that surrounded me in the atmosphere was now inside of me. And that's how I knew the Holy Spirit was inside me. And even today, this peace has become a sign to me. If I'm not walking closely with God, the peace starts to go. And my wife has even learned to recognize it now. She said, Rob, you need to go up and spend some time with God. Go and get yourself sorted out. Do you know how important it is to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit and teach other people to be filled too? For us to grow churches that are presence-filled means that we've got to be spirit-filled because that's his presence in liquid form. <laughs> his presence comes by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the contact person of the Godhead. Amen? See, Jesus isn't here anymore. He's in heaven. 
He sent the Holy Spirit. His presence is with us and in us. And he inhabits his people. So we've made it a priority to regularly talk about being pray, uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit in the church. And we must keep doing this. And we must keep praying for one another. Because one of the mistakes we make is that we think, I got filled with the Holy Spirit 25 years ago. Well, I got filled 50 years ago. And then we kind of compete with the first time I received. And that's not the point. It's when was the last time you received? That's the point. Because there are multiple baptisms of the Spirit and of power. Multiple. Anyway, mustn't get started on that. We've got to close this session. So... Presence filled, presence filled. So how are you doing prioritizing his presence? And I just want to invite you to come to a place of amen with me at the end of this session. So Lord, this is what we want. We want to be presence filled, presence centered and presence led. It's about prioritizing your presence. And we, church, we as the church agree to that. And that's all I was feeling to say at the end. And I feel like as we do that, we're just going to ask his glory to come. And his, pre his presence, his glory will come and fill this temple in a fresh way. That's what I believe. And you do understand that this is part of the role of prophets, is to help people to encounter God, help people to understand what his presence is doing. And that's how I want to serve you today, really. I want to help you to encounter him again. Because I feel like, as several times it was prophesied, I was thinking, if you carry on, I'm not going to have anything to say today. <laughs> but that's what it is. The water level's increasing in this place. That's what God is. And I believe that, oh, there you go, I'm going to go on to it now. But I believe that this is because you've got to go out with the presence. And that's what we're going to talk about next session, being presence carriers and changing the world. Anybody up for that? Yeah. Come on, let's stand together. If you're in agreement, if you're not in agreement, feel free to sit down and and wait for a bit longer. <laughs> See how he does next session, maybe. So if you're in agreement, let's just put your hands out as a sign, church, and say, Lord, we want to be. Let's just pray this together. Father, we say to you that we want to be presence-founded, presence-led, and presence-filled, that we will prioritize your presence that it will distinguish us more than anything else. In Jesus' name, amen.